Welcome to the Future of Work Live. Hosted by Mark Salisbury, author of the new book, Socrates Digital for Learning and Problem Solving. Each 25-minute episode with Mark and his guests prepares you for the upcoming new world of work. Welcome, everyone, to the Future of Work Live. I'm Mark Salisbury, your host. Today, our guest is going to be Scott Moody, computer scientist and software architect. And I've been emailing with Scott (laughs) as we've been coming on, and he's having some connectivity issues. Can you imagine that? In the 21st century, we still have connectivity issues. So let me tell you a little bit about Scott, as hopefully he is on his way. And uh, Scott Moody is a computer scientist with an MS and a BS from the early days of University of Washington's computer science department. His main interests are in elegant language and compiler design across distributed systems. He spent 31 years at Boeing in research and development, earning the Associate Technical Fellow. He has been a 15-year contributor to ACM Computing Reviews and continues research and teaching through his own company called Kona Currents. So that is Scott, and I'm still looking for him to come up in my left pane here. So as always, you always have to think about, well, what can you do if one of your guests doesn't show up? And I think, well, I could talk about something I know about. And so I'm going to chat a little bit about my upcoming book. It wasn't planned for this time space, but it is called Socrates Digital. And I'm going to go ahead and see if I can share my screen just a little bit here. I'm going to make it the live one here. And that's not something we normally do. So we'll go ahead and I will be able to share this screen with you. And there is my upcoming book, you can see. And if you just type in and type in Socrates Digital, it will come up. And so I don't expect it's going to be a bestseller on the New York Times uh, bestsellers list uh, because it's basically a computer science text. And It isn't a regular one for like undergraduate studies. It's for like graduate students and researchers to be able to look at this new paradigm of having a computer program really interact with you like Socrates would, help you solve problems that uh, are really the best way for human beings to solve problems. And so that's the idea behind Socrates Digital. And it's because it's for human beings. See, the, the deal is we have lots of AI algorithms. I've worked on some during my career, and we have lots of AI algorithms, but I see Scott's coming in. What perfect timing. We have lots of of, uh, AI algorithms out there that we can't understand, right? So, But we can't understand the things Socrates talked about 2,500 years ago, and that's what the book is about. And we'll have an episode on it later, And but between now and then, we're we're going to get back to Scott Moody. I'm on. Am I on? Mark? Yes, you are. And boy, am I glad to see you. I bet. <laughs> yeah, this is great. But you know what? Years. It gave me a chance, Scott, to give him a plug for my new book. Oh. And and I also introduced you. I told him about the two guys you raised from the dead and, and the 30 guys you healed. 
There so, <laughs> yeah. So I gave them your bio so they know all about you. So let's get let's just jump right into this because we know that you know a lot about technical things here. What is the Internet of Things? Yeah. So, like you say, Mark, I mean, we we worked th together a long time ago and everything. And but uh, and the things we did in the '80s with remote messages and and things like that, we were connecting all kinds of stuff, right? And now today. There's new newer devices. There's you know we got the smart everything right. We got the little teeny devices that are Bluetooth. We have uh, actually the newest thing these ESP uh, 32 chips, which big short world where there's a hard part you know getting chips. So these things are like ten bucks and they have Bluetooth. They have Wi-Fi. Um, you go into your you know your cafe or whatever. You supposedly have smart this that and the other thing. So the Internet of Things came out. The term came out to to try to connect all these devices in some fashion, uh, and it's been a challenge, both by connectivity and by uh, the power of all these devices. Everything needs a battery, right? And and and, and the batteries only last so long. And and how are we going to, especially when they're embedded in a in a device, you can't get the battery out or whatever, you know. So the battery issues, the power is going to be an issue, a big deal. But I'm hoping that by connecting, you know, being able to turn my coffee on in the morning as a, you know, simple example uh, of, of the Internet of Things is going to be really cool. And then they're talking about billions of devices at some point in time and how are we going to work that. Oh, wow. You know, it strikes me that this has the potential to really change our work landscape, just the way that we would work. And it seems like it would be just unlimited amount of information you could have like at your fingertips. And so I'm going to go to the next thing that that we would really like to ask you today. And that is, how can we make these Internet of Things applications for the workplace then? How would we go about doing that? Right. And at one point, you know, we I mentioned uh, Bluetooth is a big one where we can connect devices within them, you know, within a hundred, couple hundred feet kind of thing. Uh, and I've been looking at how to bridge that to, to further away, you know, so I can be be here and talking to my, you know, feed my dog 100 miles away, you know, and some while watching a camera or whatever. Uh, but how are we going to build these things? Is we need networking mechanisms, and there there's coming out with some really new things. This this technology called MQTT is an example of a communication, mm -hmm. uh, a published subscribe that we can talk between the the small little small device and in our edge systems or, or our other systems and so networking we need some back-end processing in the cloud or wherever you want to put it that does you know smarts at, at some level uh I mentioned the bluetooth devices but then we need to be able to develop code in our apps and, and the iphone for example and android and everybody has connectivity to to these devices so we have some really cool technologies and then we had to scale that that's what you need to think about next. I can talk about that. But yeah. yeah, well, you know, I know you've been working on how do you bring these together? You know, what's the architecture? Because I think that's where the magic is. Now we've got so much stuff out there. How could you bring this together in like a dashboard that people could just, you know, uh, be able to pull up what they need, when they need it, and that kind of thing. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how enterprises, you know, companies could could build one of these things using these ideas that you've been coming up with right so the uh like i mentioned uh 
these back-end processors. The, 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 actually, a really cool system called Node-RED that came out of IBM, uh, node-red.org, really powerful back-end uh, web, web front-end that you, you program visually. Uh, and so when a message comes through that says, hey, it came from the, uh, you know, the sensor for the, the coffee and, and, and it comes through the network, you can have code in there that does stuff and routes it to the right people. So we need routing mechanisms and things like that. But I mentioned the iPhone. I've been developing a lot of apps on the iPhone, iPad, uh, Apple TV. Uh, there's all kinds of really cool display mechanisms that we can interface to these these devices. So that's that's really exciting you know, what's available there. Okay. And I know one of the things I, I'm going to go to my next little question. here. Can you give us an example of a really cool uh, Internet of Things application? Because I know you you have a really cool example. Yeah, well, one of them, I, uh, I actually been working with a company. Uh, this is, uh, where's the picture? Pet Tutor. They're out of Indianapolis, <laughs> actually. Uh, and they put, you know, we talk about these little chips. They've got one of these chips in, in here. And so this thing, which is a really quiet tutor, which is a trick for these, you know, for the technologies. Uh, so they have a a feeder that's Bluetooth enabled. And so they created a little remote control, obviously, and, a, and maybe an RF version, but they had a Bluetooth version and they could talk to it. They can only talk from the device where, you know, still a hundred feet away, I mean, you know, which for animal training is, is actually valuable because you're not scaring the animal, let's say. Uh, but I went and took it further and tried to try to route the data as far as I want to go through other technologies out past the Bluetooth, through the sockets through the uh, internet through wherever and back to the iPhone in, in another location um, so so what I I developed a actually a, a thing I call I dog watch uh, <laughs> watch it, it comes with a you know a camera it comes with these uh, smart little beacons it has uh, an iPhone app things like that 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 it's really fun and I have Apple TV I can I can feed my dog from my Apple TV or anywhere you know, things like that. It's really, really fun to build. And it's a great test bed for these ideas. When I was teaching at Renton Technical College in part of my computer science class, I kind of teach on my own as well uh, to Boeing and everybody. But the uh, the ability to use something like that, it's well-defined, you know. And then you know, maybe you want something else. Like we had students doing, uh, you know, soil sensors and, you know, for your garden uh uh, and things like that. So it's really cool uh, what you can do with with these sensors, with these uh, uh, iPhone apps or whatever. Uh, really powerful. Well, you know, one of the things that strikes me, Scott, is we think we've got privacy issues now. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like, wow, this is going to just open it up. I mean, I can just see me at my desk spying on my, my colleague at work, Bob, and see what he's working on, right? And so it just seems to me like this would just be a Pandora's box for privacy. So is that kind of a thing that you've been looking at too? Yeah, we've been looking at that. You know, the, I think in some ways it's overblown because, heck, I can barely connect to these things. I, you know, I have a hard time getting on the internet right now, right? Uh, <laughs> so, and the protocols, at least the Bluetooth devices and stuff, once they connect you know one guy gets to connect uh, and, and you can have passwords and all that uh no one else even connects even to save battery they stopped advertising once they're connected things like that so there are a lot of things built into the protocols to help that 
that security or safety. The, the, these uh, networking protocols, they all have the ability to have passwords and, and things like you know, passwords as well as hidden name, you know, how to hack up. I don't even know how to hack passwords, you know, when I make up pretty interesting <laughs> when you have to do that. But yeah. The, the, yeah. the naming of things, you know, so and actually naming is a big deal. And what I teach as well is, is we got to name everything. Uh, we have to have ways of getting at the right one. Right. So if we have my smart yeah. house, it has every single light bulb uh, with an on off switch. Right. Uh, how how the heck we get a name? Of, you know, in my kitchen, I have four or five light switches for lights you know they don't have a number they don't have a name for that right you, you go up and see yeah. them so naming is a really complex problem it actually helps security as well if we want to go back to that so, yeah uh, yeah well, well let's let's skip over to you know what uh, innovative technologies do you see right out of all the stuff that's emerging that will really soon affect the workplace you know, I think with, well, just with the workplace, everyone's going remote, right? So there's yeah. a whole new ball of wax of some sort there. Uh, yeah, no one wants to, seem to want, want, go back to work. I mean, we've been, I've been retired and working at home, so it's pretty nice and everyone else wants to do something like that. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but so, so what is the workplace? But I mentioned the, uh, the issue with the batteries and these devices. And if we start putting these everywhere, we're going to have a bigger issue. Here's the coolest thing I've seen. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. It's actually a, yeah, it's a, yeah. a plus, you know, it's a light bulb or a on off switch. Well, it turns out there's a group of, there's a group out there that are working on this thing called energy harvesting and University of Washington uh, computer science has an energy harvesting uh, group as well. This thing requires no batteries. It requires no power. It creates the power by clicking on the button. And by clicking on the button, it creates enough power to send a message at a real low bandwidth. Wow. Whatever it is. Uh, and it's not Bluetooth. It's, it's nothing, you know, it's an RF-like frequency. I actually never have connected it myself, but but they're putting these in buildings all over the place. Because once you do figure out how to know, you know, that this light switch goes to light bulb number one versus light up, you know, number uh, the living room light bulb versus the kitchen light bulb. Uh, once we get that working, we don't want wires everywhere and we don't want Bluetooth with the battery issues unless it's, you know, they're all connected to power. So it's, we, you get rid of the cable and you put the cable back because you need the power. Uh, so that's those. Are, but that's a neat uh, the energy harvesting. I haven't seen a lot of people looking at that per se, uh, like I said, you dub. But the other one is the computer vision. Well, first off, the power of all these processors we're getting on the iPhone, the new MacBooks with, you know, unbelievable power. Uh, and everybody else, uh, what what are we going to do with all that processing power? Uh, I'm most excited recently about the computer vision, that the, the machine learning ML, uh, Google ML and Apple ML both have some really powerful open source. Actually, Google's all open source, uh, and mm -hmm. they can recognize objects, uh, some with you know relatively good confidence and some with really lousy confidence, but. Uh, <laughs> well, and so being able to see things in the future and being able to recognize what they are and, and doing things with that, I think that's really powerful. Well, you know, it's, it also strikes me that one of the things we saw with personal computing is you got the mainframe on your own desk, right? 
And then this is kind of like, I think people will have to really, and I think that's what our audience might be thinking about today, is that they need to think about how they're going to gather the data they're going to need, right? The information they're going to need. And there's lots of way, new ways to gather that information, right? And so, so this could be a kind of when we go to the workplace is it's not only what you know, but it's all the sources that you can tap. And this is a new kind of technology and frontier that's going to help people configure their own information environments, I would guess. Yeah, it, 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 we are working on uh, essentially affinity groups, you know, which is one way to scale a lot of this problem. So back to the workplace, you know, we have common work, you know, conceivably being happening in the same area, right? The same workplace, unless you're off, you know, surfing the web or whatever. But in general, you, you, you know, messages come in. So you don't need to be subscribing, let's say, to every nugget of information. Upstream can be subscribing and you getting the data because, because it's related to your work. So yeah. there's these content addressable, content routing networks, which are different than the connect you know, to the, to the topic. We had this issue where I had an office at Boeing in, in over in Seattle and over in Bellevue. So they had an email address that had both those, you had to have two different groups, one for the Bellevue group, one for the Seattle. And so then if you were mobile, you had to have two messages because you don't know where you are, right? So that's the problem with that is, is that people haven't been able to get past that essentially. I mean, we keep thinking about everything's location-based but we're usually a one, a one of, you know, yeah, you can connect yeah. to me because you can find me, but I don't know who I should be connecting to. I mentioned in when we talked before, I worked on this thing called the future combat system with the idea was you know, smart, smarter devices and things like that. And, and we had the issue where, you know, you got everybody with the smart iPhones and whatnot that, that knows when the duck, when the missile or the bullets fly, because they have smart devices that sense the, the missile or, or the, you know the tank or whatever shooting at you and so you're all you know you got the platoon a guys you know because a was planned to be in foxhole number one all of a sudden this platoon b guy jumps in your foxhole and he's got the exact same technology but he's getting none of the same messages because he wasn't supposed to be yeah how do we adapt to something more and back to the workplace same idea you know how do we get how can we leverage all these sensors and things like that yeah yeah well, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to shift gears right now and, and go back in time with you. And so can you describe how we tried to implement the Max Headroom vision? I know our audience is because we had a little chatter about this in LinkedIn, yeah. and I know people saw the words. So what, what's it about? So Max Headroom, uh, actually, I just found this. It, was, it wasn't available for long. It was 1986, I think it came out, and there was a big, you know, the Coke ad or whatever. But the the title here it says 20 minutes into the future that was the whole thing they had vision in 86 and they had computer graphics you know that they connected to the to the team you know to the making films and things like that but they kept thinking about something in the future uh and so we took that in in, in our work right with uh we had some, you know mark you had the the voice you know uh, talk and draw and all that kind of cool stuff where yeah, we could, yeah. we could, you know, that, that that's still a thing that I think is not being done is the voice recognition. I'm not a fan of voice recognition at all. It doesn't work with a hoot for me and it's not exact enough and talk about computer vision, but so how do, you know, the max headroom, they, they had, you know, 
all kinds of really cool ideas in the future. And, and, and then from there, we went to, you know, Xerox Park, for example, was one of my heroes of technologies out there. Yeah. The cone yeah. trees, remember the, the complexity of seeing things in 3D? How are we going to start seeing stuff and seeing things we don't see that are hidden in there? Yeah. So the complexities, and, and now with 21st century, the, the amount of information and, and it's just out the door, you know, of complexity. So how are we going to manage that? And, and then Max Hedrum was some really, they had some cool ideas on that. They, I mean, the first episode was all about, we have too many channels right on our TV. And as soon as there's an ad on the channel, you would switch channel, you know, you would go to another one because we have an 18 second attention span, basically yeah. from yeah. Scott Adams. And, and, and I used to listen to him a lot, uh, but 18 second attention span, you 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 you've been there teaching your classes right and you get, try to get somebody looking at you during the class is really hard <laughs> you know, you're, yeah, yeah. Uh, try online for example yeah <laughs> yeah so what so max just a neat vision of what that uh i'll have to send you this uh you maybe you can watch it again but it's pretty fun uh, but i think the futuristic ideas are there now with god the amount of stuff you code you can develop in these iphones i'd mentioned the uh all networking. There's another really cool thing called the CocoaPods. It's a reuse library that you that's on the web or local or wherever. And there's a really neat way to package up chunks of code that you just grab in one line of code that is all absorbed. So that, so there's some things that are coming to fruition that uh, we've been dreaming about for for years. And uh, we'll see if Since they, the Max Headroom days. Yeah, hey, I want to make sure we have time to talk a little bit about this. What I understand is you've developed and you also teach a software architecture uh, class. And so what can you tell our folks uh, out there that who might be interested in that? Sure. Well, uh, actually, at the end of my uh, Boeing career, I started uh, coming up with you know how to formulate a lot of this stuff that I learned in Boeing. And, and we are always in research and development. So we are, we are always thinking of really cool stuff as much as we could. Uh, so I came up with uh, a class, actually I call it the Adventures of Knowledge Shark. I'm trying to put this into my yeah. textbook, but it has all the uh, kind of, you know, the whole software architecture aspects of, of you know, how, how are we gonna identify uh, the problems and, and how to relate them to previous problems that we've talked about. And, and you know, half of them go back to the work we were doing in the 80s or whatever. But the, <laughs> I, I mentioned things like the Napoleon telegraph system. Yeah, people didn't realize 18, 1800, 1799, Napoleon had people build these towers throughout the Europe. Uh, and then the English jumped in. Everybody wanted a tower that was a big honking thing like a windmill that had a, they, they could relate a, a, an ASCII character, essentially, and ship it across Europe. Uh, so you, it was an internet packet, and this before the the next version of the telegraph, which we've heard of, which is the electrical telegraph, right? Yeah, so things yeah. like, but being able to talk about all these really cool computer science problems, I think computer science is is still the coolest, you know, most precise thing we got going for us. Even though we can do any, we can do anything, right, with it. We can also do stuff, <laughs> the right stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. I wake yeah. up every morning and and thinking. You know, 100 years ago, you know, I wake up and I'm in my farm and I could, you know, milk the cow and, and, and do a two or five, six things. But now I wake up and I got an infinite number of things I could do with our technology. It's so cool. Yeah. And, and in yeah. my class, I try to I try to describe all, you know, 
what's available and we kick the tires on these Bluetooth devices and stuff like that. Well, let, let's go right to our, our takeaway here. And all this comes together. And so what I have for our takeaway here is the Internet of Things is here. And uh, but it will take some integration with enterprise systems to really leverage it in the workplace. And so what would you tell our users or I should say our viewers out there who are in the workplace, how they can think about using this technology? Yeah, I think that being able to kick the tires is, is so easy, so easily now that that we used to, you know, develop, you know, you compile for a day and you do, you know, you could test something. Now we can test things so quickly. There's all these capabilities, you know, that that I talk about or other people talk about with the Internet of Things, just a really good example uh, to, to con, con, kind of get it into the into your uh, publicity that we can start playing with. And, and then just think about if you talk about the workplace, you know, what kind of things you want to make easier? You know, truly, it's that level back to turning the coffee on at night, which my thing broke. I can't do that anymore. But yeah. Uh, Feed the dog remotely. Uh, what else can I do? Uh, I mentioned the soil. So, you know, you can check test if it's got enough moisture in your garden, things like that. Yeah. Look, cool. Uh, what's what's available? And, and and a lot of it, it was tinkering at one point. Now we can we can hook it up to our real systems. We can have the Apple TV interface to it, for example. Um, Very cool. I, and it's good to see Scott still working on cool stuff. Yeah. It's been, sure. been a few years, but I see the, the passion still there. So I want to thank you for being on our show today. And I want to remind our viewers that they can catch us next week. Our next episode is Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Time. It's always Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Time. And we'll look forward to seeing you then. And thanks a lot, Scott, for, for thanks, uh, coming Mark. in and chatting with us today. And boy, am I glad you made it. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. Yeah. I tried everything. I just got a new satellite on my house, too. So uh, I was hoping for that one. Thanks, well, thanks Mark. for coming. Thanks for coming. Yeah. You can find the Future of Work Live episodes in video and podcast format on www.marksalsbury.com. Additionally, YouTube hosts the video episodes on the Future of Work channel, and Apple, Spotify, and Google host the podcasts.